All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. This is the Christian version of everything is going to be okay in the end. Everything is going to be okay in the end. John Lennon, famous for being part of the Beatles band and an amazing singer and songwriter, said this of life. He said, everything will be okay in the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end. Of course, John Lennon also said that the Beatles were bigger than Jesus. And of course, John Lennon had his time and his time is now over. And Jesus is probably still bigger than the Beatles. But I think as we consider these words this Christmas time, the question remains on our hearts, will things be okay in the end? There's a little bit of hope in our hearts perhaps as we sing, as we gather together, as we go out madly shopping to get everything done, to get the food ready, to do whatever it takes to have that Christmas event because we hope and we live our lives like everything will be okay in the end. Will it? Well, tonight, Jesus has an answer for us from this particular passage of Scripture. It is a promise that for those who love God, everything will be okay in the end. I want you firstly to consider the concern of this promise that all things work together for good. Imagine the shepherds, and we've actually read and we've heard about these shepherds. They were gathered together in ancient Israel on one particular night. Shepherds are a little bit smelly. They were outcasts. They didn't live amongst people in the cities. They lived with the sheep. Their job was to protect them and to make sure the sheep were well fed. You were happy if you were a sheep and you had a shepherd looking after you. And their life and their night was invaded by angels. It's a good story to tell, isn't it? Your life and your night was invaded by angels. These angels said these words which we need to hear. They said, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour who is Christ the Lord. The promise is to shepherds 2,000 years ago in ancient Israel that everything will be okay in Him. The one who is coming, this one whom they called Christ the Lord. Now you and I know that we all live our lives and go about our business in such a way that we think everything will be okay. Can you imagine for a moment, just imagine with me for a moment, if we all knew that there was an asteroid coming tonight to destroy the earth, where would you be? Would you be fleeing somewhere filled with fear or would you be embracing your loved ones filled with love? We don't live our lives as if the end is coming, but it is. We live our lives as if everything will be okay. However, there is a problem with this. We don't really know if everything's going to be okay most of the time. We just assume it is. Many of us just assume that there is some great cosmic power out there taking care of things for us. And so we go about our lives, we do our education, we do our jobs, we live with our families, we work towards an end, but we're not 
completely sure if it will be okay in the end for many of us. Some of us think we've got these things tied up, but for the average Australian, we just don't think about it too hard. Interestingly, when these words were told to uh, when these words were told to Mary from the shepherds who delivered this uh, good news of great joy for all people, what did she do? She treasured up all these things in her heart. Few people take the time to think about things of eternal consequence. But Mary did something as an example for us to follow. Really consider what does the, do these words mean spoken almost 2,000 years ago in ancient Israel? What do they mean for us tonight? Religion for many of us, doesn't quite cut it because we consider how most people interpret religion a bit like this. If you follow a strict set of laws, you will be blessed. That's how most people interpret religion tonight. If you follow a strict set of laws, you will be blessed. And we can even consider the verse that I've put before you from Romans 8.28, which is, if you want everything to be okay, you have to give over control of your life to God. Now that is partly true, but it doesn't have the context in it for us. Well, you notice something very, very important. This is about the nature of God. This is about the nature of eternal things. We're lifting our sights for a minute this Christmas. We're taking some time with Mary to treasure up these things in our heart and think about what do they really mean. The beginning of our verse says, for those who love God. There is something at the centre of this blessed life, this life where everything will be okay, that has a love relationship in it with God. Notice it doesn't say, if you do good things, God will bless you. Notice it doesn't say, if you follow a strict set of laws and don't do bad things, God might give you a ticket into eternity. Notice it says, for those who love God. What is at the centre of the message of Christmas? That there is a love relationship waiting for you with God. It's not, do good things. It's not don't do bad things. It's let the news about this God who loves you enter into your heart. Think about it this way. If you've ever entered into a relationship with another person, a romantic relationship, an intimate relationship, you will know that there is a step of faith and a moment of fear. There's always those two things, isn't there? That Moment, not just when you have your first kiss or whatever it is, but that moment when you take the step into a serious, committed relationship. There is a moment of fear. Will they accept me? And you have to step into the getting to know that person on a close level. You have to accept them fully for who they really are. And that sure does take a step of faith. But you only get the security and the intimacy of that relationship if you move through the fear and take the step of faith. How much more for a relationship with God? How much more for a relationship with God? If it's really true, let's just 
for a moment, no matter where you're at in your faith journey or this pilgrimage of life, if it's really true, consider for a minute what's on offer. There is a love relationship with the creator of life, the author of the universe, the one who architected everything. That's the claim of the Bible tonight is that God made everything he made you and I. He is so intimately concerned about us personally that he made us right down to the atomic level and he holds the whole universe together by the word of his power. That's the claim of the Bible tonight. And the the invitation is, will you get to know him on a love basis? So there is a concern for this promise Will everything work out together for good? There is an offer and an invitation toward a love relationship with God as to where it is centered. But the question we must ask, of course, is who is this God who offers himself to us? Who is this God that keeps this kind of promise at Christmas time? I want to do an exercise with me, if that's okay. Just for a moment, focus on your breathing. Take a deep breath and breathe out. Another one. And breathe out. We're not doing some Easter meditation thing. It's okay. We're just breathing in and breathing out. It's relaxing, isn't it? Just for a moment. Focusing on your breathing is a very interesting thing. Most of us don't notice it. It's happening all the time in the background of our lives. And yet, if you really think about it, you are utterly dependent on that next breath. We are so utterly fragile as human beings that if we didn't do the thing which we do automatically, sometimes we can focus on it and control it, but if we weren't to do it, we would cease to exist. For this kind of promise that everything will be okay in the end to be kept, the God of the universe has to care about you and I down to the most intimate level of caring about every breath that goes into our lungs. That's what I'm putting to you tonight, that the God of Christmas, the baby in the manger, the one who is God himself in the flesh, That's what the Bible teaches us. This person cares about you personally right down to your very breath you are taking now. He is invested in you. The Bible tells us what I call three immutable truths. Immutable meaning they cannot be changed. They stand for eternity. Firstly, that God is good. The Bible tells us that he gives to us life and breath and everything. The second is that God is all powerful. He literally breathed upon humanity to give us life. Thirdly, the Bible tells us that Jesus is God. We heard it read out earlier that everything was created in him and for him. Jesus, the man who walked the earth 2,000 years ago, Actually, pretty much every historical 
uh, sorry, every credible historian in the world today agrees that Jesus is a real man who lives. So what we trust as history, we must take into account that Jesus walked the earth. And yet the things that he said and the things that were said about him are mind-blowing and life-changing if we take a moment, like Mary, to consider them. So three immutable truths. And yet, there is a problem, isn't there? Human rights activist Arnold Zabel, upon meeting some Ukrainian refugees who had just fleed from a war zone, remarked on the problem that we have in our world with Christian hope. He says, For people in desperate circumstances, hope is not the word. You can't say to them, My prayers are with you and my hope is with you. I mean, they just want to know how to get out of the place. How does Christian hope stack up with the suffering of a Ukrainian refugee? Or divorce? Or the death of a loved one? Or depression? Anxiety? The difficulties of life? What answer could God give us to deal with these things beyond platitudes, right? We're not just talking about abstract ideas that there's a God up there somewhere who work out everything. We have problems today. You and I face suffering regularly and we will all face it in the end. Something must be done about this. God has to have an answer if this promise is true that everything will be okay in the end for those who love God. What is his answer? Well, I want to start with a problem, actually, as we get to his answer. We think that God doesn't really know what it's like. I think he's up there. You know, he's at a cosmic level somewhere out there. But he doesn't, he doesn't get me, he doesn't get what's going on in my life that well. He's up there and he doesn't get our problems. Yet, actually, Christmas itself tells us something totally different. When the shepherds went to see this Christ the Lord, the angels spoke of, what did they find? What did they find? They were sent on a mission to find Christ the Lord, the Saviour, you know, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who has an army of angels who are proclaiming that he's come. What did they go to see? They went to see a human baby taking its first breaths as a human being. In this first breath of the life of Jesus, we see that he really loves us so much so that he became one of us. How much more committed could you be as God to enter into humanity? That's the message of Christmas. But what about suffering? What is his answer to suffering? You know, he might care, he might have come as a human being, he might have lived a good life, been a good teacher, a good example for us, but what about suffering? He might be good, but what about the things that we face today? He might be God Almighty, but what about us now? To get the answer to this question, we actually need to pass through 33 years of Jesus' life. 
Now, Jesus actually lived a very ordinary Middle Eastern life in the first century. He got a job. Uh, the occupation of his father, sort of carpenter builder, continued in that work till he was about 30 years old. He walked into a temple and read out from the prophet Isaiah and said these words, today this is fulfilled in your hearing that he would proclaim liberty to the captives and good news to the poor. What's going on here? This good example, this good teacher, this human being, God, is living an ordinary human life, but he's claiming that he is the answer to human problem. Singular, not problems, our human problem. As we get to the end of those 33 years, we're taken to a very different location from Bethlehem, a place called Golgotha. Outside of Jerusalem was a place of refuse known as the place of the skull. People didn't live there. Jesus was put there by Roman soldiers, accused by his own people and convicted in a false and fraudulent court. And he was literally nailed to a cross to end his life. And so we see this Jesus, the God-man, is now on a cross, personally experienced experiencing the greatest suffering known to humanity in the ancient world. Why? Why would God place himself on a cross? I mean, we've got to go into this assuming that what Jesus has taught and lived could be true. But what's he doing on a cross? Why would he be there? How does that relate to God caring and loving us? Well, the Bible tells us that this cross and this God on the cross, Jesus, was for us. It was actually not his first, but in his last breath that he showed his great love for us. Romans 6.23 puts it this way. It says, whilst we were still sinners, caught up in the suffering of this world, of our own cause, and done against us, whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus wasn't a sinner, and yet he came to take the place of a suffering sinner. Christians worship the suffering God. That's why at Christmas we still got a cross. Because we worship the suffering God who came for us and in our place. He did it to fulfill his purpose called out, proclaimed by the angels to be our saviour. That if he suffered and died for sin, we wouldn't have to. That there's a way out. That there is good news. That there's light at the end of the tunnel. He died to fulfil his purpose. And if we are in a relationship with him, shaped by love, then even through suffering, well, everything will be all right, in the end. That is why a Christian person tonight on Christmas Eve who is suffering has solid hope. Not pretend hope, not a platitude of hope, but solid hope because they know if their God suffered on the cross for them, everything will definitely be all right in the end because they will be with him. 
The grave could not hold him, the Bible tells us, but he rose from the dead. The hope of Christmas Christmas is found in a resurrected Saviour. So we've considered the concern of this promise. We've considered what it means to know this promise keeper himself. Lastly and briefly, I want to talk to you about the offer from the one who always keeps his promises. The one who, unlike human relationships, we can't keep all the promises we make. We make vows to people when we make important promises to one another, like a, a wedding ceremony. And they're very hard to keep. Even if we keep them in our body, we don't keep them in our heart and in our mind. And yet we see a God that always keeps his promises, even to his last breath, from first to last. Johnny Cash is one of my favourite singers. Uh, And he lived the hard life of drugs and rock and roll and everything else that comes in between those two. He actually knew of God. He sang about God from from time to time. He wanted what God had to offer, but he couldn't get over himself. He really came to his lowest point in his life in early October 1967. He went exploring some caves near his hometown. He'd just come off a bender. And as he went into the caves, it got darker and darker. After three hours exploring with his flashlight, the batteries ran out and he realised he was in absolute darkness, both physically and spiritually. An author puts it this way, exhausted, he lay down in total darkness. Johnny says this, the absolute lack of light was appropriate for at that moment I was as far from God as I'd ever been. My separation from him, my deepest and most ravaging of the various kinds of loneliness I'd felt over the years seemed finally complete. As he lay in the darkness waiting for death, Cash discovered a profound truth about God. I thought I'd left him, but he hadn't left me. And he began to feel something powerful taking place in his mind and his body. A sensation of utter peace, clarity and sobriety. It was a feeling that defied his intellect. The feeling of tranquility persisted and Cash began to focus on God. There in the Nickajack cave, I became conscious of a very clear, simple idea. I was not in charge of my destiny. I was not in charge of my own death. I was going to die at God's time, not mine. I hadn't prayed over my decision to seek death in the cave, but they hadn't stopped God from intervening. I want to pause there for a minute. Notice that God seems to step in He stepped in to the lives of the shepherds with angels, proclaiming good news of great joy for all the people. We follow the track through the Bible. We see that Jesus steps into people's lives all the time. Don't be offended. But God's perhaps stepping into your life tonight, making himself known to you, making this good news of great joy for all people available to you personally through an invitation to a love relationship with him. He stepped into the life of the Apostle Paul while he was trying to kill Christians, 
Why couldn't he step into your life? What makes you exempt from the God who created the universe, who cares about you down to the very breath that is in your lungs right now? Let's go back to Johnny Cash. Feeling the stirring of new hope, Cash found himself in a predicament. He was in total darkness with no idea of which way was up, down, in or out, in a maze of tunnels and caves. Deep inside the earth, there was no scent, light or sensation from the outside to guide him out. How can I escape the death I've willed? He wondered. As he began to feel his way around, he felt a sense of prompting to move. Eventually, Cash felt a gentle, soft breeze and knew the direction the breeze was flowing from would lead to a way out. Slowly, methodically, he followed the breeze until he began to see light and finally, the opening of the cave. For those of you who know Johnny Cash's story, he was a changed man. He still wrestled with his issues, but he came out having a love relationship with God where everything would be okay in the end because he knew that Jesus was his saviour. The reading that we had from Isaiah chapter 9 said, it has dawned, a light has dawned in the world out of darkness. Referring to the coming of Jesus, the saviour of the world, Jesus fulfills this when he speaks in John chapter 8 and verse 12. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. There is a very clear and precise invitation tonight, not tomorrow, not Christmas Day, but Christmas Eve tonight, right now, for you to follow him, to receive the light of life through faith in Jesus Christ, this real person who lived, died and rose again for you, the God-man Jesus Christ, who died as a sinner in your place so that you might know that everything will be okay in the end. If you want that tonight, if you want him tonight, I don't just want you to want what happens from Jesus. It's a love relationship. You've got to see that it's about him. If you want him tonight, he's yours. He's on offer. The words Jesus spoke are just as real now as they were when he spoke them. I'll put it to you tonight. Make this the Christmas Eve where you can say, Everything will be okay with the words of Romans 8.28. And I know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have come, that you have revealed yourself as the light to the world. You were the promised one and now you're here. Lord, you came for us and Lord, I ask that you would help us to receive this truth tonight, no matter where we are at. Lord Jesus, that your sovereign power from first breath to last, risen again from the dead, would be for us and in our hearts, believing all these things. We pray it together.
In Jesus' name, amen.